1: Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity and in order for us to continue growing like this I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear I know I'm in, are you? Are the Sixers fans feeling good about their team? Why do the Sixers get blitzed in their third quarters? Will Ben Simmons fix their point guard issues? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on Derek Bodner, who is a Sixers insider at Philly Mag and will give us all of his great insights about the Sixers because I am dying to find out what is happening beyond what I'm trying to glean from watching the footage. So Derek, thanks for joining us today.
0: Anytime. It's my pleasure.
1: So let's jump out with uh, what's going on to say to the Sixers right now. Uh, they've won two in a row, which is kind of exciting. Is there anything we can glean from this besides uh, just general happiness for them?
0: Well, I think I think I think happiness for not only the team but for Sixers fans as well. I mean, this has been the last time they won two games in a row was late December of 2014. Uh, that was that was a little while ago. Two two road games in a row, at least. Uh, they, did, uh, they didn't They did win consecutive games at all last year, and they've done that twice already this year. So it, it is a, you know, this is about as much success as we get, which is is great to see. You know, I think what, what I've been gleaning recently is that they don't, when games come down to the line, they're a little bit more, you know, they're a little bit more competent. They don't blow leads quite as much as they did. I mean, they went in the fourth quarter last night where I think they went about four and a half minutes without scoring, and they're going, like, "Oh no, here they go again. They can't." They had a 19-point fourth-quarter lead. I think it was even larger than that, but when the run started, it was 19 points, and you're just like, "They can't. There's no way, right?" And then they <laughs> reeled off the last 10 points of the game, and that was that, was, that execution was something that they lacked for the last couple of years. So that was nice to see. You know, obviously, when Joel Embiid's been healthy, he's been incredible, and he's kind of run into his first little bit of struggles the last two games, or at least the last two games that he played. Offensively, but the difference that he's making defensively has been really incredible for a rookie. And some of the pieces are starting to fit around him, which is, is nice.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, we're, we're very big fans over here of Embiid. And um, it's funny because it seems like he's still on a minutes restriction and he's still destroying it with his per-game averages nonetheless. Um, what are we hearing from the team as far as that goes? Are we, are we going to be able to get to him playing uh, back-to-backs is he going to start playing into the 30s in terms of minutes uh, going forward?
0: Yeah, well, initially, so he started off the season, I think it was at like 12 minutes a game. That got ramped up to 20 real quickly, and then they, they dialed it back. You know, they went to 20, they went to 24, and then they said, look, he's probably not going to go up until we'll reevaluate him right around Christmas. And this was, I think, maybe, you know, mid-November when they said this. So we were thinking he was going to be at about 24-minute restriction through Christmas, and then they bumped him up pretty randomly. Not randomly. I mean, they went through the test. They consulted all the people. But unexpectedly would be a better way to phrase that. Mm-hmm. They bumped that up to 28 you know, a couple of weeks ago, which was a nice, pleasant surprise. He's still held back from back-to-backs. That is not going to be changed until certainly at least until his next. You know, they kind of have like checkpoints throughout the season. I'm not sure if that is still the – Christmas time frame, but they certainly won't add that back into the equation until after that. But he has gone up, you know, from like I said, 12 to 14 to 20 to 24 to 28. So he's making progress, probably a little bit quicker than I think most people would have expected. If you had told me that he really, I mean, he's missed, I think, one game because of actual injury, and the rest just because of precaution. And that injury had nothing to do. That was elbow inflammation. it Had nothing to do with his foot. So if you told me that he's not sitting out any games because of a sore foot or anything like that, and his minutes are up to 28 now and in, in, in early December, I think it was bumped up to, I'd say that was a pretty good progression based off of expectation. I do understand that it's still frustrating for Sixers fans, especially when he's missing some games they could win. But no, I would expect, I would expect these, the 28 restriction to stick for a little while now and for back-to-backs to still be off the table for a bit as well.
1: Sure. You know, it's funny because it, this is one guy and the way they have him play and, and be so aggressive that, you know, more minutes to me is going to be more production uh, and maybe even greater than what we're seeing the per minute now. Because, right, like I, some guys you might think, oh, well, they, they might level off if you give him more opportunities. For me, it just feels like he'll just continue to produce more and more uh, and, and really just be. I mean, it's it's kind of scary. I mean, the block numbers themselves, you mentioned defense. You know, to get two and a half blocks a game in 23 and a half minutes a game is crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at, at really all of his numbers. I mean, 18 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, two and a half blocks. Even the assists have started to creep up. And for a guy who went a large portion of preseason without, without accumulating an assist, you know, he's now averaging 1.7 per game. Uh, he has been, you know, his per minute rate has been incredible. And I feel like, yeah, you, know, you look at it and you say, well, he's, he's not doing it over a full game. But even if you just take the averages, the averages have been more than you would expect for most rookie big men, especially rookie big men who have taken two and a half years off. Mm-hmm. It, it, he has certainly exceeded any reasonable expectation. And you can't help but wonder what that is going to lead to, not only when the minutes restriction comes off, you know, but when he's kind of back into the – it's one thing to work out and to get back into cardio. It's another thing to get that kind of in-game explosion back. And I think we're all watching him, and he doesn't look like quite the athlete he did at Kansas. And you're wondering if that's just time, if these are just basketball moves that he hasn't made at game speed in in two and a half years, which is such a long time, it sounds ridiculous to say. But if these are just basketball moves that he will get back when he he gets a little bit more into the rhythm of an NBA season. Uh,
1: Now, is there anything that he's acknowledging or the the coaching staff that he needs to work on uh, and improve?
0: Oh, I mean, the the double teams have been a – You know, pretty consistent source of of frustration for him. Certainly his turnovers are higher than you would want. I think he's at over three and a half a game, which for his, his minutes is astronomical. He has gotten better at that of late, but it still comes in fits and starts. He will have one game where he handles the double team really well. He'll back out of it. He'll repost. He'll find the cutters. He'll find where the help's coming from. And then there's another two games where he just looks like he has no real awareness in that regard. So I think that's where their primary concern is. Obviously, they would like him to foul less as well. That's kind of the one one part of his defense, which is, you know, a little bit of a work in progress. But for the most part, I mean, everything from the shooting to the post play to the defensive rotations, which is where I'm really blown away, they look like that of a guy who, you know, has actually improved since he last played at Kansas.
1: Okay, that's, well, that's got to be encouraging for Sixers fans. You know, I went through and looked at the in-game splits because I was curious to see uh, where things tend to go wrong when they're losing these games. And what you look at in the advanced metrics is that in the first quarter, only, their net rating is 2.3. The second quarter is negative 2.9. So they're actually hanging pretty tough with whoever they're playing. But then you go to the third and fourth. The third is negative 13.4. The fourth is negative 12.9. So they're just getting hammered in the second half of games. And I'm just kind of curious, have they spoke about it, or can you see what's going on there and why it's falling apart in the second half more than the first?
0: Yeah, I mean, this has been a problem for the Sixers really for the last three years now. And where they'd come out in these third quarters, and other teams, you kind of suspect that they're going like, oh, shoot, we're losing on the Sixers. And maybe that focus that wasn't there in quarter one or quarter two now gets ratcheted up a little bit. And the Sixers are still at the point, especially with their lack of ball handlers, where any time the team puts out their best players, their best defensive players, and really has a focus required to win an NBA game, the Sixers still struggle to compete. And I think a large part of that is still just, you know, you can get by making these kinds of plays and making, you know, having TJ McConnell penetrate and dish in the first and second quarter when maybe that, that focus isn't there. But they're still at a pretty big talent deficit, especially on the perimeter, and especially with shot creation. I mean, this is where you look at Ben Simmons and you say, all right, rookies usually don't have a big impact. But for Simmons and just his ability to navigate a pick and roll, to force a defense to pay attention to him with his athleticism and then have that kind of creativity, you're hoping that, they, that Simmons will help navigate kind of this defensive pressure when he comes back. Uh, but that is a lot to put on a rookie. But, uh, you know, I do think his skill set will help them quite a bit.
1: Well, when, when is that? What's the latest on when he's supposed to come back?
0: Yeah, they're they're being pretty quiet about this. Brett kind of slipped at one point uh, and he said that, you know, we'll be getting Ben back in uh, sometime in January, which he backed off of that almost immediately. I think he realized what he said. But I would say that, you know, they're looking at it where v- I would say probably mid to late January, maybe early February as a realistic time frame for when he's back on the court playing basketball. You know, he recently he's he's back. He's walking fine. He's I think he's going to start sitting with the team uh during you know during games they had brown talked about a couple weeks ago now i guess it was but where simmons was sitting on a chair while feeding noel and Embiid while they were playing one-on-one so he's trying to find creative ways to kind of get him involved which i would love to have been in that gym with you know simmons feeding them post-entry passes from a chair but you know i think I, i think we're probably still a good month month and a half away now
1: that also brings me to the question of when is Nerlens Noel going to come back? Uh, and I, I'm anxious. I like him. I think that he's the guy they should keep if they're going to talk about trading anybody in that team. Um, but what are, what's the latest on him coming back?
0: He actually he came back for 10 minutes last night. Uh, he oh. played in the first half. Had a uh, sprained ankle, which he didn't really even notice at first. I think the adrenaline kind of took him through but he suffered in the first quarter played until halftime got it looked at and they, they thought the better of it so that seems to me both Noel and Brown said that that was something that they don't really foresee him missing any more time it seemed really cautionary so I would expect he would be back uh, back on Wednesday when they play Toronto
1: oh you know I missed that in the box score I, I need to get my eyeballs on it because uh <laughs> how, how did he look uh, to you was he rusty or did he move around well
0: he, he moved around pretty well you could see him getting tired towards the end of that run he played you know like I said a little over 10 first half minutes so for a guy who hadn't been playing at all mm-hmm. that was probably a lot um, he looked a little a little winded towards the end but I mean he moved around like Nerlens Noel does and and what makes him unique uh, I thought I thought he looked well he made three of five shots which you don't necessarily count on him for uh, but he made a, a, a tough Tough dunk in traffic. He he fought a little bit. Uh, he didn't pull down any rebounds, I don't think, but uh, he he looked good. you know, just mobility wise, athleticism wise, he looked like he was back.
1: Okay, well, so and do you do you believe me or agree with me um, that getting him back and then getting um, Simmons back uh, will and, and maybe even trading Okafor that is the team, or, or do you feel like Noel needs to be the guy traded?
0: Oh, I you know I well you know there's there's two kind of different questions here. There's what would I do, and then what do I think Noel will accept? You know, I think right now Noel, even if you trade Embiid, or not Embiid, you're never trading Embiid, uh, even if you trade Okafor mm-hmm. and you still kind of have Holmes, and okay, maybe you trade Holmes too, you still have Noel coming off the bench. And, you know, I think for young guys that's sometimes hard to to grasp. You know, but you, not only that, but you also have two power, really three power forwards and Simmons. Sarge and Ilyasova so you're not going to play Noel next to Embiid all that much so you have to ask him coming into a contract year is he going to be okay with you know 24 minutes a night for the rest of his foreseeable future uh, and I'm not sure he's necessarily willing to go there at this stage in his career and I also think there might be a little bit of bad blood between and really on both sides I'm not sure if Brian Colangelo necessarily trusts him enough and, and trusts him not only with his skill set but just as much with him acting like a professional, I think maybe some of the preseason stuff may have may have hurt that in that regard. Well, and I'm not what, sure if Noel really.
1: Well, fill us hurt. in. I'm sorry. What, what, the, what's the preseason stuff that Noel was involved in that gives gives him some some trouble?
0: Well, I mean, so Noel came out and he said, uh, you know, he doesn't see how this can work. He thinks this is. I forget if he used joke or mess or he, he used some pretty strong yeah. language in describing having Noel Okafor and Embiid all on the on the court. Um, He just doesn't, he doesn't see how that rotation can work. And he had really strong language to voice his displeasure about that. And, you know, then Brian Colangelo came out and he said, you know, none of these guys have proven enough to really dictate circumstance. Uh, He, you know, they kind of had a little verbal back and forth in the media. And I just, I just get the feeling that there's not, maybe not a whole lot of love between those two. So, you know, you you combine the minutes that he knows he's not really going to be a starter here and maybe a little bit of bad blood to start their relationship. And, you know, who knows whether or not even if trading Oakford would be enough to do that. Now, that being said, I do absolutely agree with you that if I were going to choose one of those two, which one to keep, I would keep Noel. And I always I always say, you know, his defense and what you need out of the center today is, is so drastically different. And the ability to, you know, cover up a team defensively, to ro- switch on that pick-and-roll, to trap a pick-and-roll, to... Um, all two shots at the rim, it's so important with the rule changes and going small, and you just require so much of it. And a bad pick-and-roll defender, and, and Okafor is a really bad pick-and-roll defender, mm-hmm. it's just really tough to manage that in today's NBA. And you look at the defensive drop-off with Embiid, I mean, they go from, um, you know, I think just about the number one defensive team in the league, and look, that's obviously not representative like pretty much any team if you just took their best defender and look at their on-court during that, they'd probably have about the best defense in the league. But they drop to then the, the worst defense in the league when Embiid is off the court. And a big part of that is because Okafor, he just, he's a very poor, not only pick-and-roll defender, but his he doesn't process information on that end quickly at all. And I think, Noel, if you can sell me on a team that has one of Noel or Embiid on the court, for all 48 minutes, I think that's a great starting point. Uh, but I, I question whether or not that is, whether, whether or not they're past the point of no return at this point.
1: Right. That's interesting because you're right. A very good point. I would have thought Noel would have been a little bit humble and been like, okay, I'm just happy to be here, happy to be healthy on the court. Uh, and maybe that, that could exist. But I, you're right. I suppose at some point soon, quickly, um, you know, 20 minutes a game is not going to be enough for him. He, he would probably expect to be a starter. It's interesting. Well, I suppose it, uh, they, they have their, their hands cut out for them. What do you think is going to ultimately happen then?
0: You know, I think, I think they are going to end up trading Noel. I think... I think right now Noel wants to be traded, and I think Brian Colangelo is happy to, you know, make that a reality if he can get something close to fair value. The question is whether or not he can get close to fair value, right? Like going small ball so drastically around the NBA, there's just there's an overabundance of five men. And you're seeing a lot of teams right now who would love to make a trade, you know, giving away some of their high-priced or unhappy big men, and there just aren't trades to be made out there. So I think they're eventually going to have to drop their asking price quite a bit, you know, to the point where this, the point where it's really not going to make a whole lot of sense to me, but I think at some point they just want to kind of move on. So one of the names that's been thrown out a lot is Terrence Ross because of Colangelo's familiarity with him and Sixers' need for wing shooters and whatnot. And that to me would, I, I mean, I value Noel way more than that, but I think they're going to end up making a trade just to kind of move on from the situation.
1: Wow. So, the, I mean, I'm trying to picture uh, Toronto with a no, uh, healthy Noel helping them. And
0: that, and that's that, more just a kind of an example throwing out. I certainly don't have any information that they're going to do that. Okay.
1: So. No, fair enough because it's like yeah, certainly, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm always trying to figure out that Toronto fans hate me now because I t- tend to be a little bit realistic with them and think that, you know, they really they're never going to beat Cleveland. Um, but, you know, a, a trade or something could help them. So, I, I, yeah, either way, I think Noel is a special guy. And I think that it, it could work really well with Embiid shooting uh, with them out there together uh, and really cause problems because you wouldn't get very many shots at the basket or very many rebounds if you're the other team. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, Embiid could space the floor better and then Noel can be around. So uh, there's a lot of interesting things. I, I guess that also brings up to the question of, of um, coaching and whether or not Brett Brown, you know, is the guy, like, has he sort of been mired in in this rebuild without a lot of NBA players, or um, you know, are there issues that we're seeing about the actual coaching?
0: Yeah, that is a that is a great question. That I think even people who follow the team and cover the team on a day to day basis, I'm not sure anybody really has the answer to that. I think everybody kind of wants Brett to be that guy. You know, I think he is a. You know, a really good guy who's really, you know, he, he he has performed his job diligently and with a level of kind of class and understanding that you wouldn't really expect. I, I mean, you look at what the Sixers have gone through these last three-plus years and the level of losing they've had, and they're really having, I mean, you a little grumbling with Noel, but that, to me, is more playing time and contract-related than is anything, I think, going into that fourth-year of his rookie deal and having this depth is is really what's the problem. But you look at at the team with all that losing and they've never really turned on each other. And I think that really as much as anything that player de- development has been what you want from Brown. But now if when the talent level increases is he a good enough basketball mind to take them where they need to go? You know, I don't really know that. And you can certainly point to a lot of end game situations where the execution has been really poor, and a lot of times the play design has been really poor. But I think we all can agree that a lot of times when you're, you're so under-talented, and look, when you go up, it, whenever we focus on these end-of-game things, you're focusing on a close game because that's when you're really paying attention. And that's, I mean, li- they blew two late leads to Cleveland this year. Well, when Cleveland ratchets up their defensive attention, I don't really care what Brett Brown, and puts their best defenders on the court, I don't really care what Brett Brown draws up in the huddle. There's such a talent discrepancy that they're probably not going to execute it well. Uh, so I think it would be great to see him. To me, I want to see him when Simmons comes back. I want to see them when they have one more offseason to put talent, you know, because you kind of came in the season, you didn't know what to expect from him being. Simmons was going to be a rookie. I want to give them an offseason to put talent around him that fits around those two people and get his real perimeter shot creator, you know, back on the court. And then I'll, I'll evaluate Brown. But it's a very open question at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I'm certainly excited. I think he, you know, at this point deserves the shot only because when he signed on, um, they he knew his record, his you know, his career record was going to take a severe hit. Right? It was a big sacrifice. No, you know, and he's willing to do it. So I, yeah, I agree. I think he certainly deserves a chance uh, to can see. You, yeah.
0: Can you imagine that conversation with between Hanky and Brown though, where Hanky yeah. came out and laid out, look, we're gonna, you're gonna be really bad for two to three years, but we're gonna try to get really special players.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't it take, like, months to get to hire him?
0: Yeah, August. It was That That was interesting as well. But, I mean, just to have that kind of faith that, I mean, look, NBA coaches, we can talk about context all we want. Time washes away all context. So, you know, three years down the line, four years down the line, if Brett gets fired, owners are going to look at his record, and that's yeah. going to be the first thing they look at, and that might be enough to, you know, it's kind of like your resume, your resume doesn't get you hired, but it sure could get you taken off consideration. And that must have been a heck of a sales job by, by Hanky to eventually convince him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And cause it, that's what it sounded like was happening because I remember that uh, taking so long to get hired, especially because here's a lifer uh, as an assistant. And you know he was finally getting his chance, and you would think, why would you ever take that much time to take it? It's an opportunity, no matter what. And uh, so clearly, there must have been some interesting discussions there. And uh, you know what? Overall, and I have been saying this for the last two years, all the losing, all the tanking was going to be was going to be moot. You know, a year from now, when they're the best team in the East, which. You know, again, it's a little bit murky, but um, I think we can see a path, right, with guys like Saric and if they can figure out the Noel, uh, you know, front court issue. um, You know, they have something here. I suppose the guard core is an issue. I'm a big Sergio Rodriguez fan. I think that he's been doing as well as he can do in the situation he's got. Um, Is it really as bad of of a positional issue as most people want to say it is for them?
0: You know, I think Sergio can do some things offensively and, and things that I like. And his prov- his shooting, which I think at the beginning of the season, he kind of struggled that extra two or three feet between the feeble line, and the NBA line, and his efficiency fell quite a bit. And obviously adjusting to NBA athleticism and size and all that impacted as well. You know, but over the last three or four weeks, he's really been shooting the ball a lot better. And when he does that, that opens things up quite a bit. The problems with Sergio are are really on the other side of the court. Uh and TJ McConnell on the other hand he can you know he's overmatched defensively but he can at least pressure a little bit but then again he runs into problems on the offensive side of course so they kind of have you know two backup point guards who each play one way he's been good and he's been like I said he's been he's been a lot better now that he's making shots and forcing defenders to go over that pick and roll and I think as a result the offense and the late game offense has been better lately as well
1: Well, that's good to hear. And and now um, Jared Bayless just got back, and how is he looking in the lineup? Is this something that's going to make them better?
0: Well, he he came back for about three games, and then that that sore wrist which kept him out for the beginning of the season has acted up, and he's kind of been day-to-day ever since. Uh, There's a lot of speculation that he might need to get surgery on that wrist, and he's kind of been delaying that because that would keep him out pretty much the rest of the season, and he's trying to play through it. But it seems like that has been a struggle of late – uh, I right now would not have have uh, Bayless in any plans really for this season, uh, and, and that doesn't mean he's going to miss a season. I just wouldn't plan on it right now.
1: Yeah, that's too bad. I mean, I think that they probably uh, the hope had to have been there, right, that he was going to solve some issues for them in the backcourt.
0: Well, he was he was going to. I mean, he, part of the reason he was signed is because he fits so well with Simmons, and you could let Simmons create a lot in the half court, have Bayless, you know, help bring the ball up, but also play off the ball. So you've got your point guard. You know, your nominal point guard out, and you also had then have Simmons and the guy who's going to create your offense out.
1: Well, it's great to hear that the focus will be on Simmons handling the ball and running the show because watching him in college a lot, when they wouldn't let him do that as much, was driving me insane. Uh, in, on in the few stuff I, in the few clips I did see, uh, they had him playing like an old '90s power forward when I was watching. So um, at least it, 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 Brett Brown already has that notion of how well he's going to be able to open up the floor and push the ball, make those great passes. Um, Let's talk about Robert Covington. You know what? What's his status now? Is he solidified himself as is a, is a bona fide NBA player? That's going to be a, a starter on a good team.
0: Well, you know, what? he he started off the season and he couldn't hit anything. Like he for a guy who came in, I think he was a thirty seven percent career shooter, maybe thirty six, something around there. On a really high volume, he came out and he was shooting like fifteen percent for the first couple of weeks. It was it was really bad. And Covington doesn't really have a diversified enough game offensively, to overcome that. Like, he doesn't create off the dribble. He doesn't come off of screens. He doesn't... He's no pick-and-roll player. So he was really struggling. But at the same time, his defense picked up to a really... I don't want to say great level, but to well above a plus level. Like, he was a a very good defender. And that has held through. And he can defend pick-and-rolls really well. He has really quick hands. He can get forced a lot of steals and turnovers... And now that jump shot's coming around, I think in the last seven games he's shooting about 43% from three. If those two things work, if he is making his open shots, and I think sometimes he's asked to do a little bit too much because the Sixers don't have any real shot creators, so his, he takes a little more con- contested threes than you would like. But if he's making his shots with his defense, he's, to me, he's absolutely an NBA player.
1: Oh, Okay, good to hear. So the pieces are slowly but surely coming together, but I think it's also safe to say with with six wins so far this year, uh, tied with the Nets, that this this year is probably already kind of ready to be packed up and um, just use it for development, right?
0: Oh, they're not making the playoffs. Don't get any of that wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is still very much a development year. They should end up with one of the two or three worst records. Uh, you know, I think they could make a, a little bit of a surge towards the end of the season. But even there, when you get Simmons back, you know, there's 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 a real learning curve for a guy who hasn't played since, you know, March, I guess it was. Uh, yeah, because he, he didn't play in the tournament. They didn't do any postseason. So, yeah, a guy who hasn't been playing now in almost a year, he's, he's going to adjust the NBA. So that, this is still very much a development year. You're just starting to see where... You know, you're having a few more legitimate NBA players, a few legitimate pieces. Yeah, you know, and they might have a starter or two in their lineup now that are there long term that maybe you didn't have in previous years.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm anxious to kind of keep following this and see what happens because, you know, we did do a video before the year started uh, saying how uh, exciting they were going to be when they had Sergio Rodriguez, uh, Ben Simmons, Dario Saric out there, all like very good passers, uh, you know, who, who want to make that fun pass. Uh, and, and I think that you throw in there Embiid and you know Noel and Okafor whoever else is out there uh, there there are it's there there are the tools and this is going to be a really good draft as far as I understand so I think uh, even if they get like a the third pick they should have another like you know possibly transformative player
0: yeah I mean this is and it's a, a really good draft on the wings and on the perimeter too which is you know you might say Ben Simmons is going to handle uh, the ball a lot and be a lot of handle the point guard responsibilities which is true. But I don't think any coach has ever really complained about having two you know, <laughs> two real initiators. It really comes down to whether or not they can also play off the ball, whether you're diminishing their skill set. But having as many guys who can make decisions with the ball is a great problem to have. And you're looking at a draft where they'll have their own pick. They'll have the Lakers pick, and the Lakers have lost, you know, I think, six or seven oh. in a row at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the right-to-swap picks with the Kings, who feel like they're always on the precipice of blowing it up. So I think they're going to have a lot of ping-pong balls. They could have two top 10 picks in the draft. And you're right, it's a, it, it's looking like it's a strong draft and one that really fits their need as well.
1: Yeah, you know, I forgot about the Lakers pick. Absolutely. So, you know, and that, this is all um, Sam Hinkie is doing, right? Nothing has been, this, all that was already in place before he left.
0: Yeah, all, all I mean, all all of the pieces that you really care about, the Embiid, the ping-pong balls to get Simmons, the Lakers pick, the Kings pick swap. They have an unprotected pick from the Kings in 2019, which is the year after uh, DeMarcus Cousins' contract runs up. You know whether or not uh-huh. anybody actually expects him to make it that long. <laughs> um, yeah, they have a lot of really high leverage, high value pieces that they can move forward with. And not not that they're necessarily going to use, you know, their 2017, 2018, 2019 pick, the Lakers pick, the Kings pick. Not that they're going to use all of those. But you can now, you know, another player gets becomes available. You now have some real chips to push in the middle of the table.
1: For sure. Well, it's very, you know, it's very exciting. And, and no matter how hard it might be to, you know, handle the, lo- the losing right now, uh, again, like I, I have been saying for the last couple of years, it's all people are. I think I think it's also safe to say that people are simply going to forget all the tanking and all that stuff once they become a winner again. It seems like most Americans, at least, have a very short memory span. Are the two Sixers fans have that same
0: thing? Well, I think Henke was so polarizing of a figure that if it works out, there might still be some debates about whether there was (laughs) merit to it. But I do think, by and large, time washes away a lot of context. And if they walk out, if if Joel Embiid's healthy for the next 10 years, if Ben Simmons is healthy and, and chose to be the player that we think he is, then it would be hard for me to think that there are many Sixers fans who aren't happy with what happened. Like, I do think those two players are going to be so... So good, especially Embiid. I think Embiid, if he's healthy, there's very little doubt that he's going to be one of the better players in the league. And that's really—I mean—you look at it, this is a, a town that since they traded Iverson in the mid two thousands, they haven't had anything remotely resembling a you know top ten player. You know, Igadala was probably the best, and I I loved Iguodala, Um, but he was a little bit miscast in the role that he was in. So they really haven't had a a, a player, a prospect of this caliber of the caliber of Simmons and and and. And bead. and that is a very important and difficult piece to get, and I do think that it will ultimately be uh, be valuable.
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, y- your insight was very valuable as well today. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and just really breaking down what's happening with the Sixers, because I know I think there's probably a lot of people out there that like are curious and they might lose track a little bit with uh, with the records and stuff. But uh, this was really helpful to get some insight, so uh, I can't thank you enough.
0: Anytime, my pleasure.
1: Yeah, and don't forget, sports fans, that B-ball breakdown. Not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Derek?
0: I'm in.